The Brutally Speaking podcast is proudly sponsored by Starving Artist Brewing. Starving Artist Brewing may be a small speck on Michigan's beer map, but they say big things come in small packages. A brewery who really puts their money where their mouth is, supporting underground artists far and wide. Making delicious beers with the simple belief that you should judge beer, not people. Brutally Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rockabilia.com. For over 30 years, Rockabilia has been the go-to destination for all things band merch. With over 500,000 items in their online store and collaborations with today's hottest bands, you're sure to find something you love. Use our code BREW10 at checkout and take 10% off your total order. So go pick up your favorite new piece of merch now over at rockabilia.com. Now, on to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am your host, John, and this episode's guest is Scott Ian Lewis, singer of Carnifex. I don't really know if people would call him the singer necessarily, <laughs> um, but I digress. Um, this was a really fun chat. Uh, I have been wanting to have Scott on the podcast for a long time. Um, I mean, it's no secret, you know, I, I talk about a lot of the podcasts that I personally listen to, and... Whenever Scott's been on them, I always just feel like he very akin to like a Doc Coil. I feel like he is very articulate, uh, very smart, um, and just one of those people that, upon hearing him on all these shows for so long, I just really wanted to have him on. And you know, I talk all the time about how you know I try to get people on, and that it just doesn't happen for whatever reason, and is just a thing where. This once again reminds me that sometimes like things don't pan out when you want them to, but when they do, there's kind of a reason why. And I feel like the conversation we had surrounding the new record uh, for Necromantium, I, I think I might be saying that wrong. I keep sometimes like with record names, I'm like, that's that's how you say it, right? And then I'm like, is it Necromantium? Yeah, okay. I had to look it up online real quick. <laughs> um, but it's one of those things where sort of the concepts uh, and lyrical themes kind of floating around this new record uh, really intrigued me. And you'll hear me kind of say something that uh, was used in the press bio uh, for the record that kind of started our talking point. And, you know, I, last week in the intro and outro, you know, I kind of talked about uh, a friend of mine going through some things. Uh, and ultimately kind of heading down toward rehab path. Also as well, some uh, suicidal ideations and so forth and, and the idea of death. And, you know, these are things that I've talked about on the podcast and, uh, throughout the last handful of years, honestly, and is one of those things where sort of the approach that, that Scott and the Carnifex guys, but I'll, I'll kind of mainly focus on Scott, uh, really intrigued me. And I think kind of the record maybe kind of helped me navigate some of these thoughts uh, I've been working through, uh, dealing with my friend and, and dealing with people who have passed and other people and just kind of letting my mind wander too. I mean, you know, I, <laughs> I have said on the show uh, quite a bit, like even if you go back to, uh, I can't remember who it was off the top of my head, um, but they're, you know, talking about movies like Midsommar and the idea of, you know, the wave spoilers um, should be long enough for you to fast forward. Um, the idea of a, a culture of a cult culture um, deciding that at 65, I believe it is, uh, that you essentially are done. You, your life ends at that point. And, you know, on the other podcast I was just doing, I do with some friends that's not out yet. Uh, we were even talking about kind of creepy things and our brushes with the supernatural and all these kind of other things. And it's just been really interesting how kind of some of the themes on uh, Necromantium are have been permeating into the rest of my life uh, lately. 
And so it was kind of a pleasure to talk to Scott about some of these things and kind of delve a little bit deeper. And I think something that gets misconstrued sometimes is when we are, I don't want to say fixated on death, but I think sometimes when people think someone is fixated on a a dark idea or a dark concept, uh, thinking about morality and things like that, I think a lot of times people are afraid to do such and feel like it is a negative thing. Whereas I tend to find and have found my whole life, I think it's actually a really positive thing to understand that you are not going to live forever, to understand that your mortality is not something that is, that it is finite. Uh, There is a beginning, there is an end, there will be an end. And I think the faster you can understand that and not let it give you anxiety or that it will hinder you in any way, it sort of really does the opposite, I I think, of what it does to a lot of people, which is it allows you the freedom to start living your life because you understand it is what you make of it. It is the one life you have. And I think, actually, no, I'm going to stick with I think because I I don't know, you know, and you, uh, another thing I learned in therapy is you don't, you don't uh, speak with feelings. Feelings aren't facts as, uh, as someone has once told me. So I will only deal with uh, what I feel, but I, I do notice that a lot of people who have come to this same realization are genuinely a lot more positive outwardly about things, more excited to life experiences and doing things because we just kind of all understand that it's 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 not going to be forever. Um, all that said, I, I don't necessarily want to be super dark or morose about this. I did really enjoy this fucking conversation with Scott. So without further ado, let's get into it, and I'll talk to you all on the other side of it. wanted to start off by saying uh i feel like and i never know if like how much the bands actually have uh say in like the press bios or if someone just kind of writes most of it but reading because i was already interested in, in having you come on for for many years actually but seeing the email i got and you know you were talking about wanting to dive into supernatural ethereal subjects astral projection the duality of man crossroads of intellectualism and supernatural things and that doctors were performing seances at different points in time and just the like that alone if that doesn't sell the fucking record or make you at least want to hear it like i don't know what would because i already was just interested like i said in hearing this record and wanting to talk to you but seeing that it's just like who like i don't feel like people fucking think of things like this to, to speak about or just kind of really kind of going out on a limb and exploring something so I don't want to say polarizing. I don't want to say deep, but it's just, it's, it's interesting. And to me, I, first of all, I guess what made you want to tackle these themes in your lyrics and the concept for this record? Um, well, thank you for those kind words. First of all, that, that's really nice to hear. Um, well, you know, we're, we're nine records deep now, um, nine full links deep, uh, 12 releases overall. And I think we have like a hundred and some songs out. So for me, I, I, it's always about finding new, interesting subjects, Um, not just for the listener, but, but for myself, for writing it, you know, I have to stay motivated and inspired through the whole writing process, which, you know, sometimes can take eight or nine months. And so um, really it comes off of the, it's the evolution of the previous record, which kind of dictates where I go with the next one. And our previous record gravesite confessions was really a inward looking album. It, you know, it was written during the pandemic and released, um, you know, summer 21. So kind of right after uh, the backside of it. And so we did that record like completely in house, you know, we did it at the studio I'm in right now. Uh, we didn't really work with any outside producers or go anywhere to record it. We did it all here. 
And so going into this, going into Necromantium, going into the new record, it was really exciting to be able to get back out and, you know, work with a producer, you know, go to a different studio. Um, and also we were just coming off a tour, which always like, you know, gives you inspiration and motivation. And, and so from there, I, I just wanted a record that was more outward looking, had some universal questions. Um, I think a lot of people might have these questions or at least ponder these thoughts from time to time. And so that's really where the inspiration came from to me. It was, it was what comes next after the previous record that we did, which is often kind of how it plays out for me. I think the the thing to me, and it's sometimes kind of tough when doing these because I try, I really try not to listen to other interviews and stuff like that. Cause then I want to piggyback off of things that were discussed, maybe like, this much and i'm like ooh, there's like a mile you could take with that and go into interesting perspectives but i had kind of somehow i guess stumbled across uh, the episode you had done with garza a couple years ago i think you right before your first tour out of the pandemic and so it it's kind of been interesting listening to this new record today because i, I kind of got it late last night uh so i think i listened to it about seven or eight times already and then listened to the chat you did with garza so there, there's kind of a through line interestingly between sort of where you were i'll say personally and uh professionally where you are with the garza thing versus kind of where you are now and and i feel like i feel like it would be hard for someone not to essentially have their whole livelihood taken away and not start looking inward and start pondering what what is next not just from a professional standpoint but even from a a standpoint of just as a person where you're like okay, I've been doing this since I was late teens. Now I'm, you know, I'll at least say you're probably around my age, like almost 40 or a little bit older then. And it's a thing where it's like, how do you not look at your life and go, well, fuck, what was it all worth if I have nothing really to show for it and not not look inward? And there was a part, again, in the bio that kind of was interesting. You know, they were talking about the concept of if you had kind of a room to speak with death itself, what secrets would what secrets of the world would you uncover from a direct conversation with the Grim Reaper and kind of just that, you know, talking about how there are these secret rooms filled with mirrors and it was a way for people to communicate with the dead to gain their knowledge and insight and so forth. And I just kind of looked at that as almost like maybe people give credence to the supernatural when really it's just the natural of themselves looking inward and dealing with themselves, which can, it can be a ghost of sorts because we just shove these things down and don't want to like think about or permit like the ideas that permeate in our head that we're like well fuck what if i'm not good enough what if this goes away what if the what ifs of the world and that i wonder if that's kind of really what it all breaks down to being is just this is just a reflection of self and you're forced to look at yourself and move forward you know a lot of what you said is really accurate um and then you know there's that quote out there i forget exactly who said it um but it's what every every painting is a self-portrait and um yeah so kind of going off what you said at the beginning there was yeah during the pandemic and yes yeah, so i started carnifex when i was 20 and then mm. going through the pandemic i was uh you know 36 37 um now i'm 38 and it was it was exactly what you were saying like it was like what am i what am I doing? What did I do with the last 18 years of my life? Did, did, is this where it just sort of comes to an end is this pandemic where, you know, we can't tour, we can't be a business. We, we can't make any money as professional musicians. So, you know, on to the next that, you know, it se it seemed like such a, a bitter pill to swallow. It was just such a harsh reality of, of really having to grapple with the idea of, well, I guess that was the ride. Hope you enjoyed it. You know, and it was kind of like, <laughs> wow, talk about not on your own terms. You know, it's like we had a, we had a great record in World War X that that cycle just got erased, you know, and that, that's it, you know, done. And uh, it, it was, it was really challenging because, you know, not only did it, not only were we not able to be on the road and, and work, but also because of the circumstances of the pandemic, it was very hard financially. You know, we were just about to leave for a, a tour with Three Teeth 
the Meta X tour. And we were, uh, you know, eight hours away from the bus picking us up when everything got canceled. So we had already spent a lot of money on the, the pre-production of that tour and the upfront cost of that tour, which that at the time, that was going to be the biggest tour that we'd ever headlined, biggest tour of our career. You know, we had, you know, over six figures in contracts done. All we got to do is go play the show. You know, we had 700 VIP tickets already sold, which th those are great money makers for bands. And we had never sold that many before. And to go from thinking, you know, we're going to, the band's going to generate a quarter million dollars in a month to, oh, not only are you not going to make that money, but you're actually $60,000 in high interest debt now. It was like uh, a yo-yo effect that was really hard to grapple with. And anyone that runs a small business knows at the end of the day, you, the business owner, are who is responsible for that money. Yeah. And so it, it was just, it was like getting the rug pulled out from you at 100 miles an hour. We went from thinking we're going to have the best year ever to having the worst year ever, you know, as a business. And that, that was really hard to deal with, you know, because we're, you know, we've been doing this for so long. Like, this is our livelihood. This is how we make a living. We have crew that lives off this, like all that stuff. So it was, it was very challenging. So you're, you're dealing with two issues there. You're a really practical issue in how do I keep the lights on and how do I get this mortgage paid? And then the emotional side, which is, did I just spend the last 15 years of my life doing something that literally added up to nothing? And now I'm just in all this debt and can't work anymore. And those two things combined they made for a very challenging time um, mentally, you know, you really start to feel stupid. Like, wow, <laughs> that, that was funny. I'm going to be in a band. Uh, you dumb. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like good idea there, dude. Great one. And so, yeah, it was, it, and then, yeah, Graveside Confessions came out of that, which was a very inward looking record, very personal record, very dark record. And now that we moved past it and, you know, we, our career is continuing on, business has actually never been better ironically enough um you know that's when i, I kind of decided you know this next record necromantium is, is going to be more outward looking i don't need to go mine all my personal experiences again i, I just did it one and also two I, i'm i'm in a much better place so i'm not necessarily i don't necessarily uh have all those frustrations and and fears that i had when i was doing graveside so that's kind of how we got to necromantium it's it's something as I was it's the one downside of getting the advances of records is typically I don't get lyrics and stuff like that. So a lot of times I have to kind of like I was thinking about it today even, too, because I was like, maybe it's almost better that way, because whatever I'm picking up is like kind of what is connecting with me. And in a weird way where it's like, that's the message I'm kind of finding, because, you know, their musicians always say you know, why the, like I have the record, it's mine and it means whatever it means to me. But as soon as it's released now, it's no longer mine. It's not in my hands and the meanings and everything that gets taken from it are, are left to the consumer at that point. And I kind of have to think of those things and not like first world problem where I'm like, really wish I had the fucking lyrics. I can read along to this because obviously you're saying something and it's impactful enough that you wrote it down recorded it and committed it to, to a record. But I also, like I said, I've been trying to, you know, in light of the whole, like the dead speaking and so forth, I was like, well, maybe that's kind of the beauty of this is whatever I'm picking up on is maybe what I'm meant to pick up on currently. And it's, it's what's going to get me kind of through wherever I am in life. And then maybe down the road when the record actually comes out and I can see it, like it'll reveal itself to me in a, in a different way. And it kind of makes me think about how people probably don't take the time to to especially a more extreme music like what you guys do don't really kind of probably take much stock in, in the message that's coming through. Maybe, maybe it's more of a visceral reaction to this riff is awesome. This blast beat makes me feel like this, the, the music makes me feel. And then maybe if they're ready and wanting to, they'll go on a lyrical journey with you and kind of the music will then take a whole new shape has has that as a as a lyricist and as the vocalist of a band has it been interesting to see how people react to the art that you put out yeah and i tell you 
I've learned that a record is it's a living document. It it's not static. Um, I I can go back and and read some of the lyrics from like Dead in My Arms, for example. And I wrote some songs thinking I was talking about something else, but I read them now with some insight and some and some maturity, and I realize, wow, I was talking about myself here. And so, even with my own lyrics, I'm still discovering new things. As, as kind of weird as that sounds, um, and and so I do believe that you know, a record really is a living document, and. Some records are more specific than others. Some records are more ambiguous than others. But I think as a person goes through their life, if a record connected with them and they stay with it, they're going to relate to different aspects of that album, lyrically, emotionally, musically, as they have their own evolution. Maybe certain things on the album didn't speak to them at the time, but they will later when they go through a relatable experience. You know, Going back to Graveside, the the lyrics were very dark, very personal, but I also actually thought they were quite good, not not to give myself credit, but good in the fact that I think someone can read them and really relate to them on a real level because there's a lot of truth in them. But that doesn't mean every person that reads them has had an experience yet where they find them relatable. So maybe you have a young fan who's 13 or 14 that kind of hasn't gone through the peaks and valleys of life yet. And so maybe that record is a little heavy lyrically. And then it's just kind of like, well, I don't really relate to that, but that's, that's cool. Record's heavy. And then give it a couple years, a couple breakups, a parent's death, <laughs> suicide, friend's suicide, fill in the blank. And then all of a sudden they kind of are going, wow, I, I'm understanding these themes and concepts now and, and relating to them. And it's good to know I'm not alone going through this. Other people have gone through it. And, and now this record's giving me comfort. Um, that, that was my experience with like Nine Inch Nails, you know, a band I really love hmm. was when I was really young, a lot of the lyrical content of those songs didn't quite speak to me yet. I hadn't really had those experiences in life yet. I was too young and sheltered. But then as I get older and start experiencing the ups and downs of the world, all of a sudden, wow, these records, downward spiral, makes a lot of sense now. Um, and so my, my hope is that that is the same for our albums. I kind of want to get a, a little bit spacey because um, it's interesting as you, the idea of, of kind of being able to essentially leave your body of sorts and kind of get outside of yourself um, this is something I, I've kind of talked about quite a bit on the podcast. I'm going to take it a step further um, than I really have. So during the pandemic, I ended up going to therapy for, for something. And a lot of it was just not dealing with like overthinking, not dealing with kind of the present. I was too busy focused on the what ifs that never happened. Um, and then there was some family stuff that inevitably as cliche as it is where it's like, you know, I've, I've joked where it's like, they're like, oh, it seems like, you know, let's talk about your family life. And you're like, oh, and then there seems to be a problem here or whatever. And you're like, fuck, so cliche. How, I, of course it all comes back to this. How could it not? Um, but it was a thing where for a little while I was trying to get into TM and it, it took, like I tried and I, I think it was just this thing where I was trying too hard, you know, kind of like I was saying earlier about sometimes things will reveal themselves as they're supposed to when they're supposed to. And I've kind of really been adopting more of that philosophy since it's kind of being more centered and present. And so it took me going to Atlanta, which is one of my favorite cities in the U.S. that I've traveled to. And we were at a really nice B&B that had like a nice patio, like kind of high up in the trees. It was a nice breezy morning. I just kind of put on something very like ambient music, whatever, kind of just closed my eyes and tried doing the things that I had learned to, to meditate and legitimately like, it took me somewhere. Like I felt like I had gone out of my body above the trees beyond even that and could kind of look down almost from like a satellite type view. And I was kind of a part of everything, but a part of nothing. And I can't really explain it any more than that of just like I was somewhere. I feel like I knew I could see and I could be in multiple places, but I wasn't in my own body at that point. 
And I remember when like my wife and friends came to come get me to get ready to go on our, our day trip. Everyone's like, are you all right? Like you look like you just went through some shit. And I was like, like on the verge of tears kind of. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm fine. And like, I just didn't want to explain like what I had just experienced over the last, I think when I looked at my clock, it had been maybe 25 minutes total uh, that I had been doing that. And I remember texting a friend of mine who had been telling me to try to get into it. And I was like, dude, I, I think I did it. I think it happened. Finally, it clicked. And, you know, I kind of explained what I just did to you. And he's like, dude, that's it. He's like, but like when you start getting into it and doing it more, you can go further places. You can get to the, that place quicker. And now it's even got me wanting to kind of get into more of this lucid dreaming that a lot of people keep talking about where you can interact in your dreams with things and kind of experience that. And so having had that been my experience with, with some of these kind of things of sort of out of body experiences or whatever, um, I was kind of interested if you have any of your own and, and how that has been for you. Well, really when you were describing that um, to me, I was really relating that to a lot of onstage experiences. Um, hmm. You know, that's, that's another thing I realized sort of during the pandemic, which I never had thought of, which was being on stage is therapy. And I didn't, I didn't know that, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't realize that that ritual and that purge of emotion uh, and that connection with the audience, that performance, I didn't realize how healthy that actually was, which might sound a bit weird to the uninitiated because what, you know, what they're just, you know, noisy metal songs with it. Like there's no depth there. Right. It's just noise. Um, but actually it was, it was really therapy. And I think you, you hear like runners, endurance runners. We'll talk about it too, where they, they go on these like 70 hour runs and literally they're like, yeah, I, I fell asleep. And while I was running, just that thought kind of puts your brain into a pretzel. It's like, well, how, what, how can that even happen? Right. And it's that separation right. of the physical body and the mind. And I think we're in we're in such a day-to-day -day grind of wake up, eat, you know, rush out the door, get on the computer, you know, do your thing, watch your shows, doom scroll, go to bed, that we don't have a moment where we where where we're not like having to focus on each little thing as we do it, you know. And then when I when I'm on stage, you know, not every show, but the right show, you know, certain shows, you, I really feel that where it's like exactly what you were saying. It's like, I'm, I'm not in my body, but I, I'm somewhere, you know, I'm somewhere else. And I can see everything, including myself, but from outside of myself. And I think that kind of comes from, it's like a meditation zone, but exactly like you were saying, where it's like your body gets where, where it's like almost running autonomously and your your mind is able to go somewhere else and do something separately and then when you get done with that you know you probably felt at peace to some degree you felt like you know something maybe you couldn't put your finger on it exactly but something had been answered and you were more calm you were more at peace you were more accepting and and that's one thing i really didn't realize how much I had lost by not performing was like, Oh wow. Like the performance being on tour, that purge of emotion, that ritual was really something my body had come to rely on mm. to get out this anxiety, to get out this frustration, get past, you know, like my mind always racing too many questions. I do that a lot too. And uh, I think it's really healthy. I think more, more people should try to do it. And I didn't even realize I was benefiting, benefiting from it until it went away. And then, you know, now I recognize it later, but at the time it was like, you know, why am I waking up mad? I never used to wake up mad. Where does that come from? And it was because it, well, it, I, I had this purge that I would do every night for, for months and months on end that suddenly went away and I didn't even know what it was, you know, and, and now I recognize it. I guess, First thing I think of when you say that is what, how were you able to find a way to have that sort of same purge or release 
when you didn't have the go-to way, like your, your fix every day was the time on stage. That was how you were able to get rid of the exercise, these things. When you don't have that as an outlet anymore, what did you turn to to try to get that same release for you? Well, unfortunately I didn't, you know, I had to go full circle. I didn't even really realize that was it until I went back on tour. Mm. And then I go back on tour and all of a sudden I'm like, well, I feel at peace again. And then I was able to put two and two together and kind of figure out like, oh my God, like I didn't realize like that performance actually was doing so much for me on an emotional level. I I hadn't even had that thought. I thought we were just playing a show, you know, I didn't really work that out in my mind yet. And so during the pandemic, I actually really didn't find that answer. Unfortunately, I try, you know, I try to work out and, and stay focused on, uh, you know, on thing you know, on getting things accomplished. Like I was just wait, wasting my days. Um, so that was kind of how I coped with it. But I actually didn't mm-hmm. find that through line until I went back on tour. And then I really realized it. And now, like, when I come home from tour, I really make sure to find, you know, some, it's working out now and running. I started running, which was totally new for me. Um, I do those things to try to, you know, if I don't break that sweat, kind of go through that struggle and let my mind sort of detach from my body for, you know, 40 minutes to an hour and a half. For whatever reason, I, I'm like a little, I have like this pent up frustration or this energy. I don't, maybe it's just being a guy and it's kind of your caveman brain, you know, like, uh, you know, I I think there's something to that. Like the caveman in you doesn't just want to wake up and do nothing every day. Like there needs, you, you know, we're, big and strong for a reason like we need to do something with it you know and and so i try to I try to exercise and try to run and do that when i'm not on tour well i think it almost speaks to something i've been thinking about a lot lately you know certain friends you know being almost 40 at this point my parents being you know 25 years older than me it's like you know they're almost at the end of like working, talking about retirement. Like, you know, you hear these things and it's a thing where I think my wife and I, you know, we talk about, Oh, what would you do if like, you know, your company sells cause she has stock in her company. So it's like, if your company sells, you stand to make a shitload of money. Cause you've been one of the first people that started with this startup. So you're vested. And what would we do? What does that look like? And it's, it's interesting because when I feel like talking to people, roughly around our age, there's not this sense of, oh, I'm going to retire. I'm going to fuck off and do nothing. It's, well, I I would pay off this. I would do this. Then I'd probably go do, and then it's almost for a lot of other people, this hobby that they would like to do or something that they are find passion in. When I hear people that are older, it's like, oh, I just don't want to work. I just want to wake up and do nothing. And I feel like there's such a correlation that you can see where the older generations, when they would do that, they'd have no purpose and they just would die very quickly. Cause it's like you, you're not serving a function or you have nothing to get up and live for. So it's like, I think there's been a shift in the last, in our generation, maybe moving down where it's like, I don't know that we'll ever officially be retired. I don't know if we can ever afford to, first of all, secondly, I just don't think that we're conditioned to, to do that because I think we're wired to just always be doing something. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my, my parents are a little bit older you know, they had me um, around when they were 40. So my dad is, mm. is older and he retired officially, you know, kind of from his day job, I think in like 2007 or 2008, somewhere in there, right, you know, right before 2010. And he, he went on and started his own business after the fact, because mm. I think waking up and doing nothing sounds cool when, when you're in the grind and you, you, you literally like for a week, you want to wake up and do nothing. I totally get that. But once you get past a week or a month or a year, waking up and doing nothing isn't actually that fun. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it kind of becomes like, I, okay, I'm just this, I just exist. I have no right. purpose other than to put food in my mouth and go back to sleep, you know? And, you know, I, I kind of look to my dad who, you know, he's almost 80 now and it's, uh, he still wakes up and works every day and works almost all day and doesn't take days off and like still does his own yard work and stuff like that. And I think that's kind of, 
I think to me, you know, that's, that's a, a good example of like, you know, it's, you have to do something as a human being going back to that, that caveman or that lizard brain, you know, it's only been in the last, I don't know what, hundred years, 150 years, maybe that you can literally do nothing. You don't need to yeah. farm. You don't need to find food. You don't need to look out for anything. You can just wake up, watch TV and go back to sleep, get food delivered. That's so brand new if you look at this the scale of our evolution it's like just this minute second at the very end that humans have been able to do that and so i don't really think that's we're we're able like we're not meant to do that like our evolution didn't program us to be useless we need to do something purpose is important and you know whether you're not even couched in like a, a religious or or anything like that but just Purpose is still important. You got to find something to challenge yourself, you know, be of service to your family or your community. And I don't think the, I don't think really just waking up and doing nothing. That's a good way to just die, to be honest with you, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sort of unfortunate because it's, it's funny because the other thing too, you know, I, I, like I said, I got the record last night and I had asked my wife when you guys came through Grand Rapids on that uh, Up Sulphur, uh, you guys tour here to Grand Rapids. I asked her if she wanted to go, and she was like, "No, it's just like a bunch of like angry metal guys." Like she, she likes metal too, so like I was kind of like figured you'd be into it, but she's like, "No." And it's funny because as we were kind of talking, she was like, "You know, I just sometimes like there's that style of music more." Like she's like, "I don't know, was it like death metal or something?" And I was like, "Influences," but she was like, "I just don't, I don't know, I don't like." sometimes like I feel like it's just really dark and depressing and so forth. And it was kind of funny because as I was thinking about it, I was like, you know, there's probably a lot of people who feel that way, but I also think it's more of a mirror of a representation that people don't want to think about death because that means the finality, it's the end. And that like, if you think about it, especially being now at, you know, like I said, getting ready to turn 39 in, in a month and, you know, being closer to 40 and, you know, like technically you probably have, this might be the halfway point of our life, depending on how long we live and all these kind of things that it's like, most people don't want to think about the end because they realize like, Oh, well maybe I'm not as far as I want to be, or I haven't done this or I don't want to die or insert whatever. And it really interestingly was therapy kind of that brought me to this where I've been so surrounded with death, like losing my brother when I was two and family and friends to, to death and suicide and stuff that it's like, I just have understood that death is always going to happen at a very young age. It will happen to all of us. And that I think it's kind of changed how I approach life where it's just like, do take the random adventure, go do something like that's kind of out of the unknown. Cause you could not wake up tomorrow. Like you don't know. I think a lot of other people are more timid and maybe look at the way I've lived my life and look at it more as a irresponsible, almost like a shucking of responsibilities. And it's like, I don't know. I think maybe that's, it's the two different sides of the coin. I feel where some would say it's, it's, you know, the Peter Pan syndrome. I don't want to grow up, but it's like, well, what's the point of growing up? Cause I like inevitably, as long as I can take care of myself or whoever depends on me and I'm not hurting anyone, then doing and having the experiences I think is what this life is all about. And everyone else I think kind of plays it too safe. And by the time they realize they don't have much time, that's when they want to start doing all the things. And then maybe they financially, physically, whatever cannot. And I'm not saying there's a right or wrong way to it. I just think it's interesting to think about how death, I think makes either people feel very free or very limited. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're right with a lot of what you said. And I, I had a lot of experiences with death early on, especially my first job after high school was working at a mortuary. Hmm. Um, I was, you know, when I released my comic series, that that was why I based that whole world around that. And yeah, from 16 to 19, I, I worked at a mortuary and I was a funeral director for most of that time. And I participated in, in over 900 funerals and it, uh, it ran the gamut. You know, we did, sure. We did funerals for, you know, grandma and grandpa, just kind of the, you know, the classic, so to speak, just that elderly person that passed away with family that loved them, you know, kind of, I guess your best case scenario, but you know, we also did funerals for 
elderly people that passed away and nobody showed up or mm. the person that that you know came to the mortuary to, to set the funeral was the only person there um wow you know we did funerals for middle-aged people we did funerals for teenagers we did funerals for children and being exposed to that and going through you know we, our services were at 9 a.m noon and three you know every day essentially um you know weekends included and then we'd just be scheduled through you know throughout depending on your schedule but you do three services a day for you know a month in a row and you just start to realize that death is inevitable no one gets away from it it's just win it's just win and it 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 is depressing in a in a sense while you're going through that process of acceptance. Mm -hmm. But I think once you accept it and realize that it just is, um, the, the whole goal of life is to flourish in spite of death, you know, not because of, and so, you know, at an early age, that's, that's, that's probably why when, you know, cause I had like a good job when the band kicked off, um, but I remember my boss at the time who was very supportive. He was like, dude, get out of here. Go. <laughs> you have that opportunity. Live it, man. And, you know, that was that was in March of 2006. That was the last time I had a, had a job. Like, you know, uh, show up and work type thing. And so ever since then, I, you know, just been, we got shot out of this cannon and we've been sort of chasing the stream. And it's not been without its ups and downs, of course. You know, we've had plenty of ups and downs. Um, but yeah, you know, death is coming. I, I don't know when, you know, I've, I've, I've been close a couple times already. Um, mm. but Hey, I'm still here and I'm still making things work. And I think that's kind of the most you can do with it is if, if you wake up and you're, and you're here, Hey, that's a gift. Cause maybe you don't wake up, you know, um, maybe you don't wake up. And I know one of these mornings I'm not going to, or, or fill in the blank. Who knows? Car accident. Yeah, I don't you know. It, there's a million ways to die, right? Um, that's yeah. why I think just each each day you got to make the most of it, and you have to do something. Do something. You know. I think something I've clearly I've, I've I guess I've thought of this. I know this to be a true thing. What I'm about to say, but I wonder for you being so young, working at a mortuary, and essentially seeing the profitability of death, the, the business side of death, mm. did it kind of make it more sterile for lack of a better term? By the way, I, for anyone watching this, I just noticed that my camera's shaking. They're working on my road outside. So it's not like I'm in the middle of an earthquake. <laughs> I just noticed that my camera is <laughs> like vibrating and I'm like, that's probably look, it's a little weird. Um, anyway. Um, did, well, you know, you're, yeah, the death business, is is a massive business you know it's a multi-billion dollar business that they're very large publicly traded companies that own most of the mortuaries look up look up sci service corporation international they own a company called dignity dignity owns like almost every mortuary in the country um hmm. and i know that because when i started working at, <clears throat> at the mortuary i was originally hired at um it was privately owned and then it, it ultimately ended up getting bought by <clears throat> my dignity. So I'm going to sip of water here. <clears throat> it ultimately got uh, bought by dignity. And, you know, a lot of things changed. and Prices went up and packages were introduced. And, you know, it became very corporatized. And, and that was just part of everyday business, I suppose. So, yeah, there you know, death is a business, no question about it. It's, it's big business. Um, and so, yeah, I became very aware of, of that aspect too. And, you know, that's the thing I, towards the end there, I worked in the prep room because I thought I wanted to be a embalmer. And mm -hmm. so I was going through the imprentice embalmer, um, path. So I would, would work in the prep room and we would get, um, if we're doing an open casket or anything like that. You help prepare the bodies to be seen. So you're doing makeup. You know, obviously, sometimes a family will say, you know, here, put, put him in his favorite suit or, you know, she wants to be buried in this dress, whatever the wishes may be. So, you you know, you're putting clothing on, all, all that sort of stuff, preparing them to be seen one last time. 
And you know, when you go back in the prep room, it's like there's four, five, six bodies back there. And, you know, you go into the reefer, um, dude, there's another 15 bodies back there. You know, it's like I worked at a pretty, you know, a medium sized mortuary in Southern California. So we're pretty busy, pretty active. Uh, and we had a cemetery attached as well, uh, which was one of the bigger cemeteries in the area. So we were busy. A lot of people went through there and you, you become desensitized to it for, to a degree for sure. I mean, I, I've literally seen thousands of dead bodies. Um, and you kind of realize like it's, you know, we're not special, so to speak. I mean, we are, and we aren't, it's that duality of life. Once, life leaves us you know we're just we're just a person on a stainless steel cart you know Hmm. i unfortunately kind of came to the same like it's interesting like sometimes like i i don't i think a lot of us probably aren't aware of like these teaching moments or these things that stick with us and then as we kind of subconsciously think about them more you kind of realize the the bigger scope of maybe the the life lesson involved. And while I have talked about like losing friends and family and so forth, most of it's always like, I'm not around, you know, like either it's someone that like, cause I grew up in Delaware originally and I live here in Michigan. So when family back home dies, it's like, I haven't seen you probably in 15 years. So like, yeah, it sucks. But I also like, that's almost a whole lifetime essentially. Um, but honestly, was putting my my dog down on New, New Year's Day of 2020. Um, I can joke now that she knew that the the pandemic in the world was about to be shitty, so she got out while the game was good. Uh, but it was a thing where I remember as we like we went in thinking there was just something wrong with her, and then they're like, "Oh, we found like there's this massive lump, and we can take it out, and it'll cost you know 15 grand, and that's not even going to possibly fix anything." And at some point, you know, unfortunately. I guess people and, you know, like pets and so forth are sort of like cars where it's like if the return of investment's not really worth it, it's not really worth it. Like you, the humane thing to do is eventually just kind of like, I guess this is it. And I remember as they put her down, I just kind of laid there for a while with her. And I was like, my my dog, Allie, is no longer here. This is just now a body. And it really took a lot for me to realize and and i've thought about it after the fact that it's like we stay there because we feel like as soon as we leave then it's real now the world of firsts starts happening and i kind of had to do that like coming home i spent five minutes outside my front door because i was like as soon as i open this door she won't be on the other side of it it's the beginning of all these new firsts in life and it took a long time to not be sad about it and i mean even still i'm kind of like I can go right back to those moments, but I realize that they're teaching moments where it's like, that's kind of the thing you live your life. And when you're not here, you're not here and you're at peace. Finally, hopefully I would assume, but you then think of kind of the ramifications of the people that you've touched. How did they, like it's the beginning of the firsts for so many people. And I think in that realm, you know, it's, it kind of starts, you kind of start thinking at that point, or at least I have like the legacy you leave behind. How do you want to be known? And I'm not going to say like, I was a shitty person. So that was like the switch where I was like, you know what? No more. I'm not going to be shitty anymore. But I think it made me a lot more aware of like, I hope that when this happens to me, that people will look back and go, damn, like, you know, he worked hard. He was a good person, you know, all these kind of things. And that I leave behind something of a, of a positive note on this world. And I don't know. It's, it's something that I don't think a lot of people probably think about because I, again, I think people don't think about themselves not existing anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, how, how are we remembered? Right. That, that was something I, I really remember experiencing a lot at the mortuary because what do people do at a funeral? They, they get up and they talk about them. Right. And you could tell when someone was an asshole because <laughs> not many people would, would talk first of all. And the people that did, you know, you, they would always, you know, he, he, uh, he had his ways we all know. And then everyone sort of like gives the laugh. Right. And it's like, Oh, okay. Like I've been to enough, I've seen enough funerals to know what that, what that's code for which is, you know, 
you know, he had his ways and we, we didn't always, you know, we didn't always get along, but I loved him. You know, you'd hear stuff like that. And it's like, okay, I get, I get what that means, you know? And you know, do you want to be remembered? You want people to get up there and go, yeah, you know, John, right. <laughs> right. You know, uh, you know, I, hey, we all loved him, but he had his ways, you know, you're just like, damn, huh? no, I don't want that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and I think that's, you know, that's one of the things you pick up from sort of being around it. I think like anything being educated on it ultimately is a good thing. It's why we have sex education, right? If you don't know, uh, you know, anything sort about of. it, you, you well, sort of, but like, you have to know to, to like wear a condom, right? You know, right. Like, if, if no one tells you, it's not going to go well for you. Right. Or, or like a, a, a gun, being around guns, let's say, you know, if you don't know anything about it, well, you, you're probably going to get in trouble and hurt yourself or someone else and, and not be prepared. And so, maybe you know guns and death there's a parallel there like you might be a little uncomfortable i don't want to think about it i don't want to think about having to need a gun i don't want to think about what happens when i die but the reality is is if you face it educate yourself on it get past the discomfort and realize you know part of growing in life is being uncomfortable and then moving beyond it you're probably going to be better off ultimately to put that that fear and that anxiety behind you and and just realize, oh, okay, you know, now I know about that. Now now I can just keep on living, you know. Well, I think that's where growth really happens is in that uncomfortableness. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I think is really interesting, and I, you know, I think I would just assume. I mean, even beyond working at a mortuary, but I'm going to focus on that for just a second. But I feel like that probably made you so much better and more in tune with reading people and understanding like nonverbal clues Absolutely. and so forth. If you weren't, if you weren't already akin or attuned to those things, I feel like that probably, I, I would have to imagine it made you better in the band situation where you're constantly meeting brand new people and having to like interact with them and getting a sense of like, you know, especially when you're starting off, like, Hey, like you guys can crash at our place or whatever. And you can kind of maybe be like, uh, I don't know. I'm kind of getting like a bad vibe <laughs> off you. Maybe I don't want to go <laughs> crash at your place. Yeah, I, I think it, it did. It definitely did. Because it, it, you're around people at their most vulnerable and they're kind of emotionally raw. And so I think the sort of the mask that we wear in society of, right, just kind of do, do these things and, you know, so you don't really create any type of tension or, or friction is off because, you know, you're, you're very exposed, you're very vulnerable. And so dealing with so many people in those scenarios, you, you do really understand how someone is going to be pretty quickly. It, you know, some people are very angry. Some people are very kind, you know, like it's like, man, you know, your, your husband just died, but it like, you're, you know, you're talking to the wife, the widow, and she's just like the nicest person ever. She's been so sweet and so kind. And, and you're just like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Or, or, or maybe the inverse is true is, is, you know, where you're with a spouse um, of the deceased and, and they're just so very angry and nothing's right. And well, why isn't this here? And why is it that here? And where's this? And where's that? And you really kind of go through the spectrum of emotions with these people and you're right there, right beside them. And you see, you see very kind behavior. You see very bizarre behavior. I, I almost got attacked one time by a guy who was wow. really mad for, for no reason, but he, he, he was angry about what he was going through. It was his son and, and it was his mother's funeral. So, you know, obviously that's very, that's a tough scenario to be in. And he was mad and, and he decided I was going to be the point of his anger. And man, he got in my face and grabbed me by the collar. And, you know, I'm a kid, I'm a young kid at the time. And he's yelling at me and her, our manager, our mortuary manager was like this former Marine big dude, like came in and broke it up and basically like kicked the guy out of his own mom's funeral. Was, <laughs> you, know, you, you see, you literally get all types because it's such a, a raw moment for people. You know, you, you just yeah. get, the, you get the spectrum. And, and so, yeah, it taught me a lot about interacting with people at a young age and, and, and get and trying to empathize with people at a young age and, and, you know, try to 
be there for someone who is going through something very challenging and traumatic, you know? Well, I feel like as a, the, the voice, the face of a band, basically like everyone probably does the same thing when they like at the, probably the meet and greets and so forth. They're they probably do. the, the same bearer of whatever I hate to say baggage, but I mean, people probably come to you and tell you like how your music got you through a tough time or what it means to them and so forth. So I feel like at a very young age, you, you kind of got the preparation for your real career. It was just the, the launching <laughs> off point essentially. It, it is. And there are a lot of similarities, but you know, because of the topics that, that we discuss on, like throughout the albums, it's like, I mean, I've had dozens and dozens of people recount to me their near suicidal experiences. And, you know, that's kind of heavy to to have someone who whom you haven't met. I don't want to call them strangers because we do have a connection through the music. But, you know, within 10 seconds of meeting you, 20 seconds of meeting you, you know, they're talking about this near suicide experience and you know something very vulnerable that they probably don't tell many people and i've heard dozens of those at this point and it's amazing that they're still here you know that's really the best part of those stories and the fact that they found you know something in our music or or heavy music in general to to get past that point and still be here today is really you know, the joy of, of hearing those stories, but yeah, it, it, it is, uh, there is a lot of parallels between the two for sure. I, uh, want to be mindful of your time and give you a couple of minutes in case you're going to pee in between the, in between your, this one and the next one. But, uh, um, where can people find you and something you would like to plug online? Um, I'm on Instagram at Scotty and Lewis. I'm, I'm there. Um, New record comes out October 6th. We're going to be on tour October 11th to November 11th. Um, Carnifex, uh, Signs of the Swarm, To the Grave, Last 10 Seconds of Life. And yeah, stream the record wherever you can. If you feel like grabbing a shirt or a vinyl, go to the uh, Carnifex Indie Merch Store. That's pretty much it. We want to thank you for taking the time. I, uh, it's funny. I, like I was saying earlier, like things kind of happening when they're supposed to. And I had been trying to get you on, like I said, for shit, probably the last at least five years of this show being around for seven and just hasn't worked for one, one reason or another. But I feel like the conversation now is infinitely better than it would have been before. Cause I would have probably tried too hard to do something versus just letting something happen. So I think it's a, a great example again of just kind of letting life guide you where it's supposed to, when you're supposed to be there and kind of being in the moment. So thank you for the time and hopefully I'll uh, see you on the road. Either. I think you're playing Detroit. So I might try to make the Detroit date. Um, and maybe we can just uh, have one of these, maybe not on record and just uh, bullshit for a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Come out, hang out. Yeah. Well, enjoy the rest of your day and uh, looking forward to for everyone else to hear the record. Awesome. Man. Thank you for having me. I'll catch you later. Yeah. So that was my conversation with Scott. Uh, it's funny. I'm so used to hearing his name as a full name. It's, it's not just Scott. Uh, it's always Scott Ian Lewis whenever you hear him, you know, talked about in different social circles uh, within this, this metal genre and so forth. Obviously, with there being Scott Ian, uh, he's also another one that, you know, doesn't ever go by essentially just his first name. Um, I'm sure that's been a whole conundrum, uh, Scott's life. Um, the, I would have to imagine at some point Anthrax and Carnifex have played a show together, um, but I don't feel like, and I'm, I'm too lazy to Google right now, I do wonder if Scott Ian and Scott Ian Lewis have gotten together, and I would take it a step further. I would love to see a fucking band with Scott Lewis, Scott Ian and Scott Ian Lewis. Like, I think the two of them should do something and collaborate because, uh, you know, I think I think that would be interesting musically. I think it would be interesting. Um, but all that said, I want to thank uh, Scott for taking the time, uh, kind of going down the rabbit hole uh, with some of my questions and just kind of being really honest about some of it. I mean, toward the end there, you know, talking about working at a mortuarium and, you know, what does that do to a person, especially at a young age? Um, you know, I think it just, it's, I don't think I'm cut out for something like that. Like I, (laughs) I, (laughs) 
I remember working actually at the job I went back to uh, that I'm at now at the screen printing place. And I remember I started working at what was kind of known as mini. It was the mini version uh, of the main big company that I worked for and was a thing where they were trying to make it to where we were going to do a lot of the smaller jobs at the bigger company just like didn't really have time or the effort to uh, take on because you know when you're dealing with bigger clients you know like diamond supply company or dgk or something like that it's like you're that's your money maker you can't have like the mom and pop shop that needs 200 shirts made you know for somebody and i remember it was my coworker and i running a press on like a friday and it was as we were about to close up the mini version uh and integrate everything back to the the one location and i remember he went to do something and if you've ever seen a, a, a press run you know that it's hydraulic it spins to get all the different uh pallets and stuff you know to where the screens are prints everything so on and so forth and i had heard stories of my now boss actually uh breaking or snapping his arm basically uh in one of those things uh trying to do something and they're like oh you could hear the bone breaking from across like the warehouse and it's just fucking i was like oh that's fucking gross um I can watch like the most terrible horror movies and stuff like that. Uh, people being beheaded and in horrible ways of like getting stabbed and all that shit. Like pretty much doesn't bother me. Compound fractures on that note though. Like I can't fucking do it. Um, and anything to do with an Achilles. Uh, I can spot those coming in a, in a horror movie a mile away, but I digress. Um, so the press once was running or finishing up this job and the guy I was working with went to like catch something real quick as he noticed like a piece of lint or something on the shirt and went to kind of like, or I think he went to tug the shirt down. That's what it was. So, he, but he basically like went to do it and the, the press is on a, a timer when it starts running and was a thing where he went to put his arm to grit, get this thing and he pulled it out like in like with fractions of a second before this thing would have just uh, taken basically from his wrist to a little bit above his elbow and just ran it the wrong way against the screen uh, where the screen was set in place. And he just kind of stopped and looked at me. He was like, oh, boy, that would have been bad. And I was like. I would have fucking ran away. <laughs> and he's like, no, you, you would help. You would help me. You, you know, and I was like, no, I would run away screaming from you and just going, I'm sorry. I can't <laughs> that I was calling someone for you. Cause I couldn't deal with that unless you wanted a bunch of, and this still may happen unless you wanted a bunch of vomit all over you. Cause I can't fucking deal with it. Um, I fucking hate compound fracture shit. Uh, it is the grossest fucking thing to me ever. Not saying that there are people like, oh, this is okay. Um, but yeah, most of the, like those kind of things. And I think, I think all the time, um, I don't know if I said this in the episode or not. Um, I know I've, I've said it, uh, in talking with other people about, you know, again, kind of mental health and about, you know, kind of living, people having to live in different lives, uh, different roles and, and kind of the things we do, um, to, to like, you know, you just live. And so one of the things is, is my uncle works for the forensics department here in the city I live in, in Grand Rapids. And I constantly think about it as he's told some stories or, and I've seen him on the news, like one of the worst tragedies, multiple, uh, I don't know if you would technically call it a killing spree, but I know this one person killed like like five, five or six people and did like a, a citywide uh, car chase, basically. They were looking after, looking for him and was a thing where at one point, like when it had just finished, I saw my uncle basically going to like the first house where like this dude killed like a family. And thinking about how my uncle his day-to-day -day job is seeing the worst in humanity day-to-day, -day. the things we as people do to one another. Uh, and then he goes home and has dinner and spends time with his, his wife and kids. And I just can't help but think of what is that like to be able to, to like, that's just your job and that's your day. Um, it's kind of those things that I don't think a lot of people think about um, when we, you know, I guess the old saying, walk a mile in someone's shoes. It is absolutely baffling uh, to think about how someone compartmentalizes that uh, and still is a, a good person 
who cares and empathizes and, and has not been jaded or had that beaten out of them because of just the, the horrible shit they see day in and day out. And to that point, I, I when Scott was telling the story about working at a, a, a you know funeral home, I can't imagine that as well. Like you're just kind of seeing the worst uh, in everybody. And you're also probably becoming a really good judge of who people are. Um, so it was, this is a really, I don't want to say the fun is the right word. This is just a really good chat that I really enjoyed. And I felt like I kind of needed personally. So once again, I want to thank Scott uh, for taking the time. I want to thank you for listening to this episode uh, all that said, let's start wrapping up this episode. If you would like to support Carnifex and the new record, Necromantium, it comes out October 6th via Nuclear Blast Records. Uh, it is a really good record. Uh, I really enjoyed listening to it leading up to the chats and just the memories. And this band, this band doesn't seem like it's been around that long to me in my head. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I saw him on that Esley Dying run back in like, oh, five oh six like i've seen this band for so long and i just i don't feel that old at times so it doesn't seem like carnifex is a band that is as you know almost 20 years into their career at this point it doesn't seem or feel like that to me they still feel like a new band um but the new album is really rad uh you can go over to carnifexmetal.com there is a shitload of pre-order options um music videos they even are doing a pretty cool contest right now uh for every dollar spent every ten dollar spent sorry on their web store uh goes toward a drawing for uh some like looks like visa gift cards and it looks like a playstation 5 uh and a bunch of other stuff so that's really cool ton of awesome merch uh vinyl bundles and all that kind of stuff so please go support them uh also they are hitting the road for about a month uh, starting October 11th, going all the way to November 11th, so a solid month out on the road. Uh, just saw them recently with Upsulfur, and uh, the show did not disappoint. Uh, so go check them out and uh, pick up the record as well. Also, if you would like to follow them, I mean, pretty much everything is over on their website, CarnifexMetal.com. If you'd like to keep up with them on Facebook, Carnifex Metal, Instagram at Carnifex, and Twitter at Carnifex. If you'd like to keep up with Scott, you can find him on Instagram at Scott Ian Lewis. And if you would like to keep up with the podcast, you can find us simple enough on Bruce Speak Pod and all your social media platforms. Uh, if you would like to rate, review, subscribe, however you can do that on whatever platform you are listening to, please do such. Uh, greatly appreciated. You can email me at brutallyspeaking at gmail.com. And thanks to our podcast sponsors, Rockabilia. Use our code BRUTALLY at checkout. Take 10% off your total purchase order. And Starving Artist Brewery as well. I want to thank them, uh, the guys and gals that work there. It has been such a great honor and privilege to get to know these people and to uh, call them friends as well, beyond just being people who support the podcast monetarily. Um, so go support them. And for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John, and I will see you all next week where we have Craig and James from Caskets on. That was a really interesting one. Can't wait to share it with you. And I will see you all next week. Have a good one.